Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Ready to jump into Leviticus? <laughs> we made it to chapter two, but this week there, there's some holiday or special day coming up. What? What is it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Little Cupid swine around. People falling in love. It's it's mass love everywhere. And really, if I was going to give this message a title this morning, it would be. It's a Beatles song, actually. All I need is love. You ever hear that song? Now, what do you think about that statement? All I need is love. True or false? Man, Christ said all the law and the prophets, all this stuff in Leviticus that we're studying is summed up with two little commands. But they're big. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus chapter 2, we're going to find that this is now going to give them the grain or the bread offering. And this offering is a praise or, get this, love offering. Isn't that great that it just lines up that Valentine's Day is coming up? You single people, don't you worry. Because God loves you and can sustain you until God brings you the right partner. Amen? And he's got that right partner unless he's called you to be a eunuch. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, if you've got that call, you know, God bless you. But if not, he's got the right person, you know. Oh, unique. Yeah, 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 exactly. This week on Valentine's Week, we need to remember that God's most definable and profound attribute is this. This one statement, God is love. You see, in our culture, so many people cannot define love. They think it's the lust, or they think it's eros rather than agape in the Greek, which is that selfless love, that giving, that unconditional love that God wants to give all of us. And many Christians struggle with the fact that God loves them. Why? Because we're sinful, carnal creatures. We fail them all the time, and we think, how can God still love me? How can he still forgive me? Yet God is love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we get the best definition of what love is. Remember what it is? We probably don't even need to turn there. You can if you want, but love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't consider a wrong done unto itself. It's forgiving. It's not arrogant. It's not boastful. Oh, love never fails. It's not jealous. And you can read that later, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the best definition of love. In our culture, we love our spouse, we love our children, and we love food, don't we? I, I mean, have you ever, I mean, I love pizza. Hey, honey, I love you. Son, I love you. I love pizza, too. In, in, in English, love really is hard to define. It's not like Greek where we have five different words for love. We have, you know, family love, and we have unconditional love, and we have erotic love, and we have friendship love, and all those different types of love. But think about this. When, when you're choosing a restaurant to go to, now I know I'm going to make you hungry, and usually it's at the end of the message you start like, okay, we need to go to lunch. And now I'm going to make you think about it now. How do you choose a restaurant? Is love more than a feeling? Could we say? But in our culture, a lot of people define it as this feeling, this, this eros, this attraction rather than what love really is. And God is love. How do you choose a restaurant to enjoy a meal? I want to do it. How, how do you do it? Hey, do you drive down the road and say, ooh, that one looks good. I'm attracted to that, so I'm going to go to that restaurant. Is that how you choose it? Is it because of the way it looks? I got to tell you this. When we were in Israel, we started the Bible college for Calvary Chapel in Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem means what? Beth, house of lamb, a lamb, no, bread. Lamb means bread, the house of bread. And in Leviticus chapter 2, guess what it is? The bread offering. 
And guess who is the bread of life? Jesus Christ. It all points to Jesus. Not just the lamb that they would slay and throw the blood on the altar, but even the bread. But I tell you what, we were in Israel and we're driving down the road and I was craving pizza. I've got a, you know, I need my pizza. It's, I, it's my favorite food. I could eat it literally every meal. I really could. And we see this picture of the most amazing pizza you would ever see. And on the sign, it said in English and Hebrew, American-style pizza. And I'm like, yes, I can't believe it. So we go, we order the extra-large, big, it looked so good. Well, here's, here's what they did. I think they saw a picture of what a pizza looks like in America and then put all these things to make it look like American pizza. But I can assure you, it was not American pizza. It was the worst thing I had ever tasted in my life. Love is more than just outward appearance, folks. It's what's inside that really matters. And the older I get, I realize that. How about the location? You choose a restaurant for where it's located? Sometimes. The amenities that it has, how beautiful it is inside, sure, I, I like that. Russ and I, Russ loves that. He makes sure he gets a, the best seat to take it all in. You know, the food, isn't that why we should really choose the restaurant? You know, I have been in some really ugly places that had incredible food. You know, so uh, the food is really important. The cost, for, for a lot of us, that's an issue. We, we do it by that. And how about the bread? You know, for, for me and my wife, we love carbs. And so like Wood Ranch, you get those really good rolls, and, and they just keep bringing them. Just say, just keep them coming. We, and and, and there's this garlic butter. And so we actually choose a restaurant. Now, what kind of bread do they serve uh, before the meal, the free bread? And if it's Italian, do you get the, the sauce to, with the vinegar and what is it, what's it called? Baslamic? Balamic? Balsamic, yeah, balsamic. So I, I don't know about you, I love bread. I am a carb guy. It's just, and that's how I choose a restaurant. Bread, what about bread? Leviticus chapter two is the offering of unleavened bread. Pita bread, tortillas, crackers and cheese, matzah. Are you guys getting hungry? <laughs> you know, there's nothing like warm pita bread with that, that Greek stuff that you did. Oh, man. Oh, ah, Jesus said this, John 6, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Is he talking about physically or spiritually? Spiritually. You see, all of us have this hunger in our soul, and so many people don't find it in God, so they try to find it in external relationships. And they move from one sexual partner to another, or they try to find it in drugs or alcohol or fame or fortune or prestige or whatever it is, but all of that fulfillment can come from God himself. We need that. Each offering, including the grain offering or unleavened bread offering, points to Jesus. And God demonstrates this Valentine's Day week his love for us by sending Jesus as that great sacrifice for our sin. He is not only the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth, but he is the bread of life. He's even uh, uh, allegorically mentioned in the bread offering in Leviticus chapter 2. And we're going to talk about it a little bit. All the offerings, we have these. The burn offering we talked about three weeks ago. The grain or bread offering. The peace offering. The sin offering. And the guilt offering. Here's what they represent. The burn offering is complete surrender to Jesus Christ. It is a voluntary offering. When you would bring a burn offering, you would get your best lamb, your best bull, you would go to the tabernacle. Remember, you would take that bull inside the gate with praise and thanksgiving. You yourself would have to kill it. I almost got our little puppy dog up here. You know, Poppy, the white dog that Cheryl brings. And what if when you sinned, you had to take one precious animal that you love 
and bring it up and hold it and kill it. I couldn't do it. I think I would really try to be sinless if I had to do that. But you would have to do that in this burnt offering. It is a complete surrender, a voluntary offering that you surrender to the Lord. Lord, I believe it's really about faith, believing in Jesus. The grain offering is a praise or love offering. And uh, next week, Pastor Chris Brunn is preaching. The following week, we're going to do communion. We're not going to do it next week because Leviticus chapter 2 is really all about Christ and communion. So we're going to get into Leviticus chapter 2 in two weeks. Chris Brent preaches next week, and then we're going to really get into it. The peace offering is experiencing fellowship with Christ. It's really the worship and the praise that you give him. Sin offering is knowing that Jesus paid for your sins. When you would take your sacrifice to the tabernacle, you would lay your hand on its head. Remember, we talked about this. And you would be giving your sins to that sacrifice. You cannot pay for your sins. We do not do penance. You don't have to do 50 Hail Marys. You don't have to crawl on your knees. You don't have to do any of that. Christ paid for all your sins on the cross of Calvary. We are cleansed and forgiven. And the guilt offering, I love this. Oh, man. All your guilt is gone. And you can experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Romans, we, in chapter 2, it's what? There is now, therefore, no condemnation, no more guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all the offerings point to Christ, even the bread offering. And not next week, but in two weeks, we're going to get into that bread offering, the grain offering or unleavened bread offering. But I want to talk about the ingredients of the offering today. Since we're talking about Valentine's Day and we're probably choosing a restaurant to go to. And Cheryl and I are thinking, which one has the best free bread that you get at the beginning? So the ingredients of the grain offering are kind of cool in what they represent. It was given after the blood sacrifice or burn offering. So your sin's already atoned for. Hey, this is a praise, thank you, Jesus offering. It's like our communion service when we take that unleavened bread and the wine and we remember his sacrifice for our sin. That it's not what we do that earns our way to salvation. It's what he did. Sin is atoned for, and this is a praise offering unto the Lord. It's an offering of praise to God for his love for us. I want you to know, folks, that God loves you. No matter how you failed him, guess what? God loves you. You are loved. This Valentine's Day, he wants to wrap his arms around you spiritually and show you his love. Not only does God love you, but he is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Remember the song we used to sing to this? Beloved, let us love one another. Who remembers that song? Okay, way back in the early 70s. For love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, he that loveth not. You remember, right? Okay. Oh, good. I'm not the only old person in the place. Verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. And you're not old. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I am. The, okay. This foot just went. Let me restate. You must have had some really godly parents growing up because they listened to the same music I did. There we go. Okay. Wow, that's Okay. For God is love. Have you ever considered that? That God personifies love. The world cannot define love. In fact, I, I love it when I see these protesters out there, love not hate. And then they're like beating people up and spraying them with pepper spray. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I, okay, you accuse us of being hypocrites? Well, you know, hey, <laughs> look in a mirror. First John 4, 9, by this the love of God was manifest to us. Get this, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sin. Leviticus, all these sacrifices, guess what they did? They were the propitiation for their sins, but Christ fulfilled it all. 
I love that. I love that. Only begotten Son. John 3, 16, we all know it, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. Many cults say, oh, see, huh? Jesus is not God. He was begotten. Well, no. He eternally existed with God the Father, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They always existed for eternity past, created all things. And guess what? When Christ emptied himself and went into Mary's womb and became that developing baby, guess what? He was begotten, even though he eternally existed. Does that make sense? So that's where we get the phrase, he is the only begotten son. Love is our foundation for all the storms of life. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. All we need is love, love. That's the theme of the, the song today. Anyone know that song? Can you guys sing it? I can't even sing it. So, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Interesting, right? You ever consider, ponder that? Oh, wow, I'm a Peterson because, wow, God somehow named us. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power from his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in what? Works? Love. You see, love becomes a foundation that regardless of the trials, folks, I got to tell you this, if you and your spouse, if you're married, are bound together in that love that only God can give, you can face any trial together. If you're single, you're bound together with the Lord right now. You're committed to your future spouse. And I got to tell you, he can sustain you through any storm. Plus, you get the benefit of the extended family of God's church. We all become brothers and sisters in Christ. Continuing on, verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 3. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He loves you more than you could ever know. That you may be filled up with the fullness of God. The grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2, which we're going to really dig into in two weeks. Next week, Pastor Chris Brunt's teaching was called a sweet savor offering to the Lord. I told you in the beginning, I love bread. I love my wife too. Different kind of love though. We, we can't articulate it in English. It's all about Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, and walk in love. What does that mean? Live your life. Everything you do, everything you say, let it be seasoned with love. As with, what does the Bible say? Salt. Right? Let your speech... Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering, that's what Leviticus is, and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Oh man, Christ fulfilled it. This sacrifice, this grain offering, no blood was needed. Your, your sin was already atoned for with the burnt offering and the sin offering. This was simply a praise or love offering to the Lord. Here's the ingredients, flour, grain, any kind of grain, it could be barley even, any kind of flour, but no leaven, oil, frankincense, and salt. Hmm. What do you think those ingredients mean? Part of it was burned on the bronze altar, and the rest was given to the priest for their food for the day, the priests and their family, as you would bring that the thing, the meaning of the grain offering is this. The grain represents God's word. It's nourishment to our souls. Do you believe that? I'm going to show you that. I'll give you verses in a minute. The leaven represents our sin is gone because leaven in the Bible usually signifies what? Sin. The oil represents the Holy Spirit, our anointing and empowering. The frankincense represents our prayers. And salt represents our new life in Christ. Spicy, some of you are spicier than others. <laughs> Flavorful, Ross, be quiet. And, and a preserving agent. So all of these ingredients represent aspects of our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in the grain offering itself. This is powerful. Live physically by bread. Live spiritually by the word, faith, spirit, and prayer. Those things are essential to your spiritual health. Just like we need bread to survive, we need spiritual bread. Christ said, man, eat of me. Oh, and you will live. And you will live. Grain or flour is God's word. Faith comes through the word. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him and who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? The grain is the word, and we find it in the parable of the sower. We're going to open our Bibles here really quick and just remind ourselves of this in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3. You remember the parable of the sower, right? This was grain kernels that were being thrown out and we're told exactly what they represented, but we're going to find different types of people here as well. And I can assure you probably each of us in this room fit one of these types of people. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it immediately sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched because it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seed fell on the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, 100 fold. And he was saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began to ask him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. So they will, while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows what? The word. And so here the grain offering is kind of representative of the word of God. And note this. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which is sown to them. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and they just kind of like gloss over? Immediately the enemy takes that word of life that you're given to him and they don't even hear it. Continue on. Verse 16. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when the affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away or apostatize. And others are the ones in whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, or a hundredfold. So the grain offering is made up of grain or seed which represents the word of God and more than that, the grain also represents Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was what? The Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the grain offering, even in the kernels themselves, before you make the flour, represent who? The Word or Jesus Christ. Notice that you can't make that grain offering until you do what with those kernels? Oh, you crush them. Just like in Isaiah and Psalms and throughout the Old Testament, it said Messiah would come and be crushed for our iniquities. 
where he became something usable to us. Jesus told us he's like a grain of wheat. John chapter 12, verse 23, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Speaking of himself. So even in Leviticus chapter 2, which we're going to get in depth in two weeks, it all represents Jesus Christ. You know, I've heard it said before that, well, the lamb that you would slay represents Christ, but the other offerings, no, they all point to Christ, even the grain or the bread offering. No leaven represents sin. No sin, because we're cleansed of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven or sin leavens the whole lump? And in that text, Paul says, man, remove the leaven from your midst. Verse 7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. The oil in the ingredients represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oil is always used for anointing, right? In the Old Testament. Amen? <laughs> yeah. In fact, when we go to lay hands on people, we have anointing oil. And we anoint them and lay hands. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Representative of the uh, Holy Spirit residing on them. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty uh, to those who are oppressed. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with what? The Holy Spirit. That anointing represents that oil and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. Oil is also the fuel for the lamp in the Holy of Holies and the holy place where the lamp stands set. I have a little oil lamp we have. It's a replica of the ones they would use in, in those days. And they would put olive oil in there and have a little wick. And it would light that up. So in Acts 1.8, when it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And there appeared on them tongues of fire, distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. So that oil represents the fuel which ignites our souls to be passionate for God. That's why the Bible in the book of Revelation, it has a church there called Laodicea that was lukewarm. It lacked the power. In fact, in Timothy, when Paul wrote, man, in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but what? Denying its power, representing what? The Holy Spirit. Avoid such men as these. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The fruit of the Spirit, joy or gladness, also is represented in the oil. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. All of that representative in the oil of gladness instead of mourning the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Hebrews 1.9 says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all your companions. So that oil represents the Holy Spirit and frankincense and the ingredients to this bread that was offered represents our prayers. 
Frankincense was the incense. And when he had taken the book, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp with golden bowls full of frankincense or incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And the psalmist, 141.2, says, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Why do we raise our hands sometimes when we're praising God? It's like that wave offering, the evening offering. Offering and worshiping and praising God. Salt in the ingredients represents our new life in Christ. You know, there's a pretty scary verse in Matthew. It says this. Well, we'll get there in a minute. The value of salt back then was important. Do you know that the Roman soldiers received most of their wages in salt? Isn't that interesting? That's why we, we get the phrase, you're worth your salt. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's not meaning like you're sweating and you're getting all salty. No, no, it means you're a sailor uh, and uh, you go out sailing, you get all salt. No, it's not, yeah, it's not meaning that. It means they were paid with salt. And so when you did a good job, eat, that phrase even came up to when I worked in the oil fields, you know, some of the foremen would say, hey, man, you're, you're worth your salt or you're not worth your salt. <laughs> uh. The Greeks considered salt to be divine. The Mosaic law required that all offerings be presented with salt. And in fact, we're going to find that God said salt is a perpetual covenant in every offering you bring. Interesting, right? When Jesus told his disciples that they were the salt of the earth in Matthew 5.13, they understood exactly what he said. Salt is valuable. Salt is precious. Salt is preserving. Salt adds flavor to life. You are of high value. You add flavor to the lives of all those that know you. Do you know that? Man, when we speak, it says, let your speech be as it were seasoned with salt. Or grace, actually. And you are a preserving agent. Matthew 5.13, this is the scary verse. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Let me ask you a question. Are you adding flavor to the lives of those that know you? You see, Christians, I've, I've said it many times, should be the most celebrant, happy, flavor-filled, joyful people on the planet. I believe that flavor, that salt, that excitement. You ever eat popcorn with no salt? It's like bland. You ever eat egg whites with no salt? You can't do it. Hard-boiled egg, it's like, oh, ah, give me salt and pepper and... Uh, okay, just cut it open. Oh, forget it. Scramble it and give me cheese and bacon. <laughs> you know, I'm on a diet. What are you, egg whites? No. <laughs> Job loved salt on his eggs. You know Job in the Bible? He was a pretty cool dude, actually. He went through a lot. And he may have been on a low cholesterol diet when he wrote this. Job chapter 6, verse 6. Can something tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? So he was eating egg whites. I wonder if they had that, you know, fake egg, you know. I, I doubt it, but he was eating egg whites. As salt, folks, we add flavor to life. We make the mundane routine of living spicy. I really believe that. We should be children of God. We should be joyful. We should thank God for all the little blessings. Do you do that? You get a good parking place. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you pass a cop on the freeway. You're doing 100 heat. <laughs> and, and you slow down and you don't see any red lights. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, I'm not looking at anybody. <laughs> Maybe you've lost your saltiness this morning. Ah. The good thing is, it can be reinstated. 
You see, every morning we come to the Lord and say, Lord, make me salty in a good way, right? Make me flavorful. Let me be a child that's pleasing to you. Maybe you feel like you failed God too much to be loved by him. Don't worry, you're in good company. Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save righteous good people. No, to save sinners, among whom I am what? Foremost of all. Okay, if that's in the Bible, I would believe that Paul is the worst sinner that's ever lived. I, I have to believe it. Worse than you. Yet God used Paul greatly, did he not? God loves you this morning, no matter how you failed him. This Valentine's Day week, we must remember that God's great love for us is immeasurable. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his only son, but delivered him over for us all? How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a, char who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who does what? Justifies. What does that mean? He pronounces you clean just as if you've never sinned. Isn't that great? All you do is say, Lord, please forgive me and cleanse me. Instantly you're cleansed. You're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. You do not have to carry that guilt anymore. You can move forward guilt-free, cleansed and forgiven, justified by God. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God the Father, who makes intercession for us. Continuing on, Romans 8, 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Can we say what will separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely. Who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written for your sake we're being put to death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know all things are created but God himself? So what is he saying there? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing at all. You are his child. You are precious to him. It's all about Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, aren't you glad that I'm not your priest? Or Pastor Chris isn't your priest, or Pastor Chris, other two, isn't your priest? But only Christ is our priest. He is our mediator between God and man. And we are all royal priests officiating this temple, the, our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or tried or tested in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Think about that. Every temptation you face, Christ faced. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. Because of this, verse 16, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. I love that. Man, when I feel distant from God, I come to this verse and I'm like, Jesus, you know. You know I am a frail, pitiful guy. And you know when I fall and you pick me right up and you empathize and sympathize and understand the trials and the struggles I face. So I can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This Valentine's Day week, it's all about Cupid. Ah, I, did I say that? It's not about Cupid. It's not about the Roman gods or any of that. For me, it's about the love of Jesus Christ. 
And it's about that love that he's given me to love my spouse and to love my family and to love my church family. He understands your struggles. He was tempted in every way yet without sin. Folks, believe me, he can relate to you. Don't think that God can't relate to you. He knows we have a high priest that knows the deep difficulty and darkness that you fight and face. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows your situation. He wants to give you new hope and new life and peace for your soul. This morning, God cares for you, saints of God. He will help you with your problems. He will help you deal with them all. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, right, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. God is calling you back to him this morning. He's calling all of us. You see, we cannot get complacent in our walk with the Lord. We never reach a plateau and say, I've arrived, now I can set the cruise control, and I'm good to go. If you think that you've arrived then you're better than Paul because Paul says, forgetting those things which lie behind, I press on to the upward call of Christ Jesus. I grow from glory to glory. We need to be growing closer to the Lord, falling deeper in love with him and our spouse, folks, if you're married. He really does care, Psalm 51, 17. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 56, 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Think about that. Every tear, every broken heart, every pain that you've had, God is there empathizing and weeping with you. He understands your pain. He understands your broken heart. He keeps track of each tear. Wow. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares or anxieties or worries upon God because He does what up there? He cares for you. This Valentine's Day, know this. God cares about you and he can help you get through whatever is troubling you. He can heal you of a broken heart. So what do we need to do this morning? Repent and return. That's the message. I'm like, Lord, what can we give you for Valentine's Day? I thought I heard a dozen roses, but I don't know anyone that delivers up there. (laughs) No, not yet, you know. Uh, maybe what's that new SpaceX or whatever? They're, they're you know, yeah, throw one on there and then just cast it out and let it float through space. Maybe it'll, uh, who knows. Here's what he wants. Revelation 2, 1. The, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, what are the seven stars? Churches? No. Pastors? Right? Who walks among the seven golden lampstands? Who are they? The churches, yeah, okay. Lampstand says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. Note this, that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test all who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Sounds like a good Christian, right? Man, they're doing everything right. We're doctrinally sound. We are uncompromised. We test those false prophets. We are doing everything right, but I have this against you, Jesus said. You've left your first love. As I walk through life, I can assure you, I have had the depths of love with my Lord that I loved him more than anything else in life. I have walked with God. I have known intimacy with God. And yet, every time I get wrapped up in the cares of this world, and just like the parable of the sower, man, I'm there among the weeds, and I'm living among weeds, and they're all around me, and I get choked out, and all of a sudden I feel distant from God again, and I don't have that intimacy with the Lord. I can assure you, this 
No matter what I've done up there. Oh, I've persevered. I can't tolerate evil men. I test everything according to the word of God. I'm doctrinally sound. But if I left my first love, it means nothing. It goes back to 1 Corinthians. Man, if I have the gift of prophecy and have all wisdom and do all of this, yet I do not have love, it's a clanging gong. Therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. Remember when you first fell in love with God? Did you ever have that honeymoon with Jesus? And I'm not talking about in a weird way. I'm talking about where, wow, God is real. This is his word. I, I love, oh, man. Oh, that excitement. That childlike faith. It's not enough in these days of vast worldliness in the church to say that we are fundamental and uncompromising in doctrine. It's time to get back to our first love. And folks, that starts with me. I need to. Oh, I've grown complacent. I've grown wrapped in the world and all of this, and I am doctrinally sound, and I'm in a correct false doctrine. But where's that passionate first love that I have with Jesus? It's devotion to these priorities. God, number one. Your family, number two. The church, number three. Then everything else, and only then will you experience that refreshing love that comes from God. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I need that. I need to be refreshed by the Lord. I don't want to walk through life unspicy, unflavorful, wrapped in the cares of the world. We need to return to our first love. The zealous child of God lives for one thing only, to please God, to experience his love and to love him first. And we stand up for God and our family in sickness or in health, in poverty or wealth, whether esteemed or despised, flattered or flattened, considered a fool or a philosopher, through evil report or good, kisses or curses, we set to do the will of God and to stay faithful to Him and to love Him and to love our neighbor as ourself and to be faithful and to be devoted. God's calling you this morning. Whether you're a carnal Christian, a seasoned saint, or simply seeking to know God's love again, He loves you and He's drawing you to Him this morning. He wants to turn your ashes to beauty your hurt to hope, and your fear to faith. He wants you to know Him. And we know this in Revelation 3.20, that Laodicean church, lukewarm, Christ is there standing at the door of their heart, knocking. Jesus calls you just as you are. We alluded to this verse, but Matthew 11.28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Man, it's not legalism. It's not all the junk that religions try to put on people. It is simple love. The best Valentine you will get this year for Valentine's Day comes from God himself. He told me to read it to you this morning. We find it in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 4. And here's God's valentine to you, church. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, because I love you. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. 
The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby of her breast, says the Lord, and have no compassion on the child which she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you, says the Lord God Almighty. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice and dance over you with singing. It's all about his love for you. That's the best Valentine you could ever get. I love that passage. God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another. I pray that this week we would remember They will know that we are his disciples by what? One thing, our love. This week, it's it's time to be lovers. And not in the worldly sense of the form. We need to love. A new commandment I give to you, John 13, 34, that you love one another. Jesus says this, even as I have loved you. If I haven't told you, I love you. Each and every one of you. Our church is small enough where I pray for you every morning. I see your face. I love you. I know Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris love you and we pray for you. I want you to know you're not alone. Have a blessed Valentine's Day, my beloved. Sand restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.